Welcome to the CEC report for the 16th of February 2018. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is CEC Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome Robert. Thanks Elisa. And on today's show we have one topic. Canberra buckles to the money power on bail-in. We the people are the opposition. So big news this week, the Financial Sector Legislation Amendment Bill 2017 is now law. It has passed both Houses of Parliament. Uh, now, just by way of quick background for people who are not regular viewers, this legislation represents crisis powers that the government wanted to give to our prudential regulator, APRA, which oversees the banks, that in a financial crisis, it would be able to step in in complete secrecy, run the bank uh, and run everything essentially and resolve the bank and that would include the capability as dictated by the Bank for International Settlements and its Financial St Stability Board, so the big bankers yeah. worldwide, to confiscate certain types of bonds that are specified to be converted or written off in a crisis. And what we've pointed out all along in this campaign is that, uh, as has happened overseas, it is extremely likely deposits would also be confiscated uh, that has been denied, of course, by the regulators and by Treasury. However, it is explicitly not excluded in the wording of the legislation. That's right. The bill, uh, take all the technical jargon aside, allows APRA to grab savings of ordinary Australians. There's a type of saving that they can't deny they can grab, which is savings of self-funded retirees and self-managed super funds. Um, who are what they call mum and dad investors in a type of bond called hybrid securities that can be converted or written off by APRA um, in a crisis and turned into worthless shares. That's, that's accepted, right? And this bill removed the legal impediment to that. And as you just said, the wording made us suspicious that given that this system everywhere else in the world, including New Zealand, which has it, explicitly allows deposits, the wording of this bill does not exclude that. That's right? right. And so when you understand what a crisis can be, then this gives APRA extraordinarily, extraordinary powers and secret powers to be able to do anything and deposits are not protected. So we ran a major campaign since this came up in August of last year to stop this bill and it was actually extremely effective because the initial press release announcing the bill came out late on a Friday afternoon. There was no media coverage at all. Had we not picked up on it, this bill would have passed in the subsequent session in October or November of Parliament and no one would have even known, yeah. you know, for better or worse. So uh, the stink we kicked up forced it to be thrown into a Senate Economics Legislation Committee, which at least analysed it uh, much further. Uh, that in the end didn't prevent it going through. But Robert, you were in Parliament this week and you were in the Parliament during the debate when it passed the Senate. What happened? Well, effectively, what happened this week was what they would have done last October or early November if we hadn't have intervened. So we've delayed it by a long period of time, and, and, and productively so, um, but we weren't able to actually stop it this time. But they snuck it through, right? I was there when seven senators were in the room. I'm watching from the gallery. Seven senators put on a, a, a faux debate. Two senators spoke. That's all. all only two. And they took a vote on the voices, and it became law. And I'm with a banking expert, Dr. Wilson Sy, who's there with me, and I'll introduce him more later. He, I'd been to Parliament before. 
he hadn't. He was shocked at how quickly this had been done. There was no ringing the bells, call in the division, etc. No one voted. And two days earlier in the House of Representatives, something similar had happened. Right? Most MPs wouldn't have even been aware that the bill was up for debate. Only those in on it would have been aware. Um, because it's a technical thing, there's lots of legislation, there's all the Barnaby Joyce scandal going on, etc. <laughs> um, you know, all those types of things, and the government made sure that this was not a priority uh, question for people to say, oh, you've got to go there and actually participate in this discussion. They wanted it like this on the low key, on the lowdown, which is how it had begun. That's actually what happened, and we got to witness that. And it's lawful that it happened that way, Elisa, because um, this bill is anti-democratic. Right, most of the most of the functions to do with the banking system are anti-democratic. Mm. Right, they the banking <laughs> the banks are not democratic. They don't believe in democracy. They don't believe in in um, accountability to the public. They even made sure our central bank, right, became an independent central bank, so it has no accountability either. And so when you're coming up with a law that can have these extraordinary powers, they don't want ultimately accountability. And they had the you've got to go through the process to make it law. So they did it in as streamlined and a low-key way as possible. And it was actually um, quite a, a, uh, a scandal, really. This, it needs to be a much bigger scandal that mm. laws can be passed this way. And this is why we referred in the headline to the money power, because once upon a time in Australia, when we had old labour, they knew about this permanent apparatus that from the top down would dictate terms and legislation. And they referred to the City of London, people in labour, as the money power, the yeah. bankers and so forth. Well, so let me, let me just explain two things that, that are part of the picture that you know, really are, in, in my view, outrageous about how this was done. First of all, we're going to play a clip, um, and you've got a few clips to play, but we're going to play a clip from Senator Peter Wish-Wilson. Now, um, to their credit, uh, the Greens had been the ones to move this to a committee, but they were responding to us. Right. It was our efforts from the beginning that did it. And CEC report yeah. viewers who joined the mobilisation, etc., made phone calls that were asking you. We did all the work. So the Senate, uh, the Greens were happy to refer it to a committee. I'm going to play a clip now where Senator Wish Wilson makes a comment on the nature of APRA and his, whether he can trust them or not. Just have a look at that. So while we're always watching it, uh, my personal experience is I do trust the regulators, people like APRA and the Reserve Bank and ASIC to do their job uh, to the best of their ability with the resources that they have. So that's his takeaway. I trust APRA. That is really the gist of the issue. Now, what's bad about what he just said, because I was there when he said it, is that the gentleman I was with, Dr. Wilson Sy, and I really appreciate um, Dr. Sy coming with me to Canberra, he is a real expert on banking, and he worked at APRA. Yeah. And Wish Wilson knew... And all, every member of parliament knew that Dr. Wilson Sy was there to give them a different version of APRA than the media gives them and the, and the government gives them, right? He knows what a failure of a regulator APRA is. He knows even worse than that, right? Which I don't want to say publicly now, but he's prepared to talk privately to politicians about. He's seen the way they operate. Remember, we had three former APRA people make submissions against this giving APRA these powers to this committee. And he was one of them, the, 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 um, the sort of the most prominent of the three. Wils Wish Wilson refused to meet him. And by refused, did not, everyone was, all his colleagues were telling him, that, you know, you should be the one to meet these guys. No response whatsoever. So, sorry, that's a failure of a public leader, right? You can't say, I trust APRA, while knowing there's a man in the building 
that can give you a different view and you don't want to hear it. Yeah. That is outrageous. Mm. If that's the nature of the Greens, do not trust it. If you're a Greens supporter, that's what you have as your finance spokesman, right? And if he wants to make up for it, he should make it his business to meet with someone like Dr. Wilson's site. So that's one point I'll make. And of course, I can, because the Greens were the only possible organised opposition to this bill, right? the fact that this guy is their spokesman, the government, all they had to do was placate him and they got it through, effectively. The other possible opposition sort of was sort of a last minute thing. The CEC never campaigned to amend the bill. We campaigned over it ditched. But during our meetings, when we tried to meet with everybody, um, the government and opposition members we met with, you know, they were sort of, they're just members of their parties and they're, you know, they're towing the party line, but they're interested in what we have to say and some more than others. But when we had a meeting with crossbenchers, we had an interesting response from One Nation. And after being briefed on the bill, they proposed, given that the government had made such a big deal, no, the CEC is incorrect, this does not include deposits. They, One Nation proposed, let's put up an amendment to clarify that. Let's just specifically word in there um, with this with this wording that we were worried about that's so broad, at a qualifier, this cannot include deposits. That was their proposal. So the next morning they did that. They had a meeting with the government. They told the government they intended to pass this, uh, uh, move this amendment. The government said to them, let's have a look at the amendment and we'll run it by our legal team for you so the wording's right. And while I'm sitting in there um, watching this pass, I notice there's no One Nation senators in the room. And when it passed, I went out and called them and they said to me they were still waiting to hear back from the government on their amendment. They, while they're waiting to hear back, it gets snuck through behind their back. Yeah. Right? The government went to that length to make sure that this question of deposits could not be clarified. Yep. Right? That's what you're dealing with with this government. That's the bill we've got passed at the moment. And so let me just... Um, Again, like I said, I thank Dr. Wilson Sy for his participation. I want to—I I did. A, I persuaded him to give me a very quick interview uh, at the end, just to so you can get put his um, feelings on the record of of um, what his experience was like. Before I introduce it, let me look. This he, this man's a real expert. He's someone who started off. He's he's an, he has a PhD in astrophysics, right? But when he used to work at ANU as a professor there. When the government shut down the space program, he moved into finance, right? Because with his mathematical skills, and he worked as an investment banker with BT for a while. And then he eventually migrated over to the regulators, mainly because he wanted to. He wanted to see how the other side worked. Um, so he's someone who has a broader perspective than just finance, right? And he's, he's, he's as smart as any of their quants, what the, these, these finance experts. So this was his experience, his takeaway from our few days there. I'm Robert Barwick, reporting for the CEC Report. I'm here with Dr Wilson Sy, and we're in Parliament House. Yesterday the Senate passed the APRA Crisis Resolution Bills, um, Bill sorry, on the voices, didn't even go to a vote, and so now it's law, and we've been talking to um, members of Parliament about everything that was wrong with that bill and the importance of Glass-Steagall. So just to, I just want to ask Wilson a few short questions. Um, Wilson, what did you think of the process of the bill passing? Well, I must admit, uh, the way in which uh, the debate and the speeches were delivered in the, in the Parliament, it was quite uh, disturbingly rapid, yep. without much uh, time for uh, uh, 
digestion or debate and the um, second reading and the third reading came in rapid succession. Most Australians would be pretty surprised to see how, law, how it's possible That's that right. a law can be passed that quickly, mm -hmm. hey. Yeah. I, I, I've been there before. I, I, it was struck me how shocked you were. What is your concern now that the bill is passed? Uh, <clears throat> my concern is that uh, uh, it is a step in the wrong direction. I mean, it's just continuation of something that has proven to be unsustainable. And, uh, you know, it ought to, we, we ought to reverse course. And what is your fear now that with, with you watch the stock market and the markets pretty closely, as we ascertain from talking to members of parliament, a lot of them thought this was a bit of an academic exercise. Australia won't have a financial crisis. How do you see it? Well, uh, as a result of central bank policy and low interest rate, there are bubbles everywhere. There's the property bubble, bond market bubble, stock market bubble. So we're in for a lot of very high-risk uh, developments in the uh, near future. Well, Wilson, that's all we've got time for. As you know, we've got to run. But thanks for joining me in Canberra this week. And that's us signing off for the CEC report. Now, we have to take a bit quick break. But when we get back, we're going to talk about how Glass-Steagall was also raised during this debate. Welcome back to the CEC report where we're discussing the passage of the government's bail-in bill which will enable deposits to be confiscated to save banks in a new financial crash. Now during the course of the non-debate in the Senate, Green Senator Peter Wish-Wilson was forced to raise the issue of Glass-Steagall banking separation because it had been raised by the more than a thousand and inside sources put it at even possibly over 2,000 submissions that our supporters, CEC report viewers, made to the Senate Economics Legislation Committee to inquire into this bill. So um, what was the context for... Well, his, his speech was... His whole speech was actually quite interesting because it was very defensive and it was, it was in response to everything raised in the submissions, right? Of all the senators, you have to say he's the one that probably took him the most seriously. But the issue was Glass-Steagall because this is... Glass-Steagall is the anti-bailout. Right, it's the opposite of bail-in. Protect savers at all costs right? by having a separation between banks, commercial banks with deposits and all other financial instruments. That was the thing. And um, he was forced to address that because he knows that the public's demanding it. And I must say in my meetings with members of parliament, they, they got this idea that it is the anti-bail-in. It's the opposite of what they've just passed. Right. So there's two systems uh, you know, before the world, really. We're going to keep mm. going with this system where the banks are allowed to keep gambling that doesn't go unchecked, but they have the public as their buffer in case they, when they get into trouble, not in case. Or do you have a system that stops the banks from gambling with the public? Mm -hmm. it's, it's quite straightforward, and so what he said was interesting. Yeah, so we'll just roll that clip. Um, the next issue was the implementation of the Glass-Steagall legislation in Australia. Um, can I say that while I think that would be an interesting debate, and if someone wants to put up a private member's bill or the government wants to bring it on, then we can actually have uh, the debate uh, about a structural separation uh, in our economy uh, that's been that that's been previously implemented in the U.S. Um, uh, I I uh, I understand why people may think that was a contributor. The removal of the Glass-Steagall Act was a contributor to the GFC, um, but I do think in Australia 
um, most of our big retail banks, and they're some of the most biggest and profitable banks in the world. Um, they, 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 they don't, they're not as active in the investment banking market as, for example, are our foreign banks like the ones I used to work for, Deutsche Bank and, and Merrill Lynch. I think there already is a type of structural separation. But by all accounts, let's have the debate. It would be a very interesting one uh, if someone was to bring on a bill in, uh, to Parliament on that. So, um, look, financial uh, system stability should be taken uh, very seriously and should have our utmost attention and scrutiny. Um, I just say to those people out there that are still disappointed that the Senate didn't have a public hearing and they're going to be disappointed uh, when a number of us support this bill today. Uh, my belief is nothing really probably would have satisfied them except having the Glass-Steagall Act uh, enacted here in the Senate today. Um, but I would say to them that we do take this issue very seriously and thank you for your submissions and raising your concerns. Uh, it's always important that these things are brought to our attention and that we're held to account. I believe we've actually done our job today and we'll continue to do our job. So, Elisa, in, a sec in, in, in essence, he's laid down a challenge. Yep. And frankly, that's our goal. We out and we're inviting everyone to participate in this for the next stage of this. We're not stopping. There's going to be more glass uh, bail-in type stuff coming on the end of the year and we'll be all, all over that. We're going to keep scrutinising the way that this bill gets implemented. But the real goal, the overarching goal, is Glass-Steagall. That's the issue. And we have to bring excruciating pressure to bear, like we've been doing on bail-in, on MPs for that. And I'm telling you, a lot of them are starting to get it. Right? Mm. Let's get a private member's bill up. Let's get a debate that, they're that the government and Labor are forced to respond on and, and come up with po some possible justification of why not Glass-Steagall. And let the Greens, for instance, they have a policy of break ending the vertical integration of banks. Well, let them clarify what that means. Does that mean Glass-Steagall? Because that's what Glass-Steagall would do, mm -hmm. right? So that's the agenda now. That's what we have to do now, and everyone participate in that with us. And it's obvious that MPs are worried. I mean, he referred to the people out there, Wish Wilson, and they know that they have no excuse. If this bail-in policy even comes close or a whiff of being used, they have been alerted, they have been told, they have no excuse to deny any you know, knowledge of this. Um, now, join us, call us, and we'll send you a free copy of our weekly publication. This is how you'll know exactly what the fight is and how to take it to your MP. So give us a call, get involved. We'll stop briefly and we'll come back and we'll talk about the urgency to get Glass-Steagall because of the way the financial system's breaking apart. Welcome back to the CEC report. So we've been discussing the necessity to get Glass-Steagall onto the floor of the Australian Parliament. We're in the process of drafting legislation for that, which we'll have out soon. We'll be getting that everywhere and we'll be getting a big campaign going. If they thought they got hit hard on this bail-in legislation, well, they passed it. Now they've got to go to the real serious solution and the only solution um, to guard from this new oncoming global financial crash. And we've been reporting in recent weeks are the flurry of warnings that are coming thick and fast, faster by the day. And I'll just cite a few more, and these are warnings that um, any number of things in the quote-unquote everything bubble, because there is a myriad of bubbles, as opposed to in 2007-08, the housing bubble, that was relatively straightforward compared to yeah. what we're looking at today. So these warnings are that any number of triggers could set off a new global financial meltdown in a scenario where the the banks are much more heavily indebted. They've got bigger caches of derivatives. Every, every measure is worse. Yeah. 
Now, just to cite a few headlines here to give you the flavour of it and then I'll get your comment on it. Um, you had in Zero Hedge this week a headline, Plunge in Interbank Lending, the straw that broke the Fed's back. And they're talking about quite a dramatic drop in interbank lending, which we'll put up a graph that they used on the screen, uh, which they put down to the Fed, US Federal Reserve, winding back quantitative easing and tightening rates uh, in order to try to deflate these mm. bubbles that they've created, uh, plus a number of other factors that they mentioned playing into that. Um, then you had from Insure Intelligence, the headline, City of London financiers contemplate imminent 2018 US stock market crash of up to 50%. You had a headline uh, from Wolf Street, big reset looms for corporate credit market. And in the Financial Times, worries over exotic exchange traded funds deepen. Well, they're, they're all alarming. The interbank lending one is, if people remember 2008, the, the actual nub of that crisis was a collapse in interbank lending. That was what they called the credit crunch. When the banks stopped lending to each other, the merry-go-round stopped and all the pieces started falling out of the sky, right? Um, and if you've seen those signs again, because what, what did they do? They, kept in, they dropped interest rates to nothing and pumped out all this, these trillions in um, free money effectively. Once interest rates started going, start going up, the system can't afford that, right? But if they don't go up, the system can't afford the, the, the productive part of the system can't afford that either. So anyway, it's it's a catch twenty two, and something's going to give, and that's what that's referring to. Um, the I'll just say quickly because we don't have much time on the the worries over exotic exchange traded funds deepen. At least that's something I've been following for a couple of years. When people look at the stock market, these new instruments called exchange traded funds are quite popular, and what they are is you invest in this in this fund that promises you the same return as an index. So if, there, if there's a fund based on the US stock market, the Dow Jones index, it's skyrocketed since in the last couple of years, right? Absolutely skyrocketed. But the, the, the fund isn't invested in those stocks. It's invested in other bets that get even more than those stocks and they have to match them, right? But when you have the kind of haywire and fluctuation in the stock market and then in the other bets, that can all go really bad, not a little bit bad, really bad. And there's a lot of money in those funds. It's been one of the ticking time bombs in the system. And this last little period of market um, turmoil has set that off. And any number of things can be the trigger, a small spark somewhere that can ultimately set the whole thing aflame. Hmm. Now there was also an APRA paper that was put out this week. And we're raising this because of um, the committee on um, the bail-in bill having said that they were satisfied that our financial system is... Unquestionably strong. That's right. But APRA's just put out a paper that actually says there are potential systemic vulnerabilities to the financial system created from high levels of residential mortgages lending for investment purposes and they're proposing changes to risk weighting. So they're already undermining their own argument. And the problem is what they're warning about and that they cause. Mm, exactly. This is why, why Polly's meeting Wilson's side was so important. He was there when they caused it. They set these parameters to create this problem. Now they're trying to look good. Oh, this, this is a worry. Yeah, you caused it, right? This regulator should not have been given those powers. It should be disbanded. In fact, let's have Glass-Steagall instead. That's right. Now, there's a good article in our alert service this week too about how China actually studied the causes of the 2007-2008 crisis. They said the real economy is disassociated from the financial system, and so we have to get that back 
functioning and that's what they're doing with real investment into infrastructure. So call in, get involved. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Lisa. And join us again next week for the CEC report. Thank you.